0: We must learn to fight well for ourselves first, then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to our Stay by the Tree Messages of Hope series. This is our second in series of three today with Ashley Hunter. We're so, so excited to hear from her today and feel just really blessed to have her influence in Mothers Who Know. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to look at our podcast channel and listen to the six-part series that we collaborated with Ashley on and teaching us about boundaries. It's just such a neat thing. One of the things that I learned that has really fortified me in that series and just really put a I don't know, just empowered me more to lean into the motto of Mothers Who Know, which is stay by the tree. Because Ashley in her boundaries series points out how boundaries are just about me. And it's about me showing up in the way that, that I want to show up. And the only way that I can really stay by the tree and feel the love of God So I can support his work while he's doing the redeeming work that I am so grateful for, for the people in my family, is to stay by the tree. And so I I really have to keep the spirit with me in order to manage my own heart and my own mind. And so that's just been so cool. And then also, there's lots of things that boundaries bring up in us because it's kind of a buzzword. And I don't know, boundaries have always kind of made me feel a little bit afraid. Like, I don't know if I know how to do that. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm quite sure how to do that. And so our theme for Mothers Who Know is Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and it is, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I think that's exactly what we learned in that six-part series that Ashley did is how to stay in the spirit God gave you of power and of love and of a sound mind. So anyway, I'm feeling much more confident and also have recognized some some of the an even greater need and desire that I have to learn more about boundaries. And I'm excited. I've signed up for Ashley's class that she'll be teaching standing. You'll hear about that today. But yeah, I'm excited to learn more from her. So thanks for being here. I never said my name. I always forget that part. But yeah, I'm, I'm Karen Broadhead. I'm the director and the founder of Mothers Who Know. This is such a powerful place. So... So grateful to be here and to rub shoulders with all of these wonderful women who are working and trying so hard to support their families and realizing that the best way to do that is to really understand how to support God's work with our families. So I'm going to turn the time over to BJ. So just to share a tiny bit more about Ashley, and then
1: we'll we'll get started. We'll hand it right over to her. So Ashley's drive to become a counselor comes from her personal experience with betrayal trauma. During a difficult time in her life, she felt so alone. She believed there was no way anyone could understand what she was experiencing. However, through support groups, she learned that this belief is one of the adversary's favorite tactics. He works in the shadows and in isolation and His power comes from secrets. So knowing these truths, she works daily to bring things into the light, building connections and drawing power from truth. She encourages her clients that work with her to be empowered and to do the same. Ashley is a betrayal, trauma, and divorce and boundaries coach, and she's just recently become a therapist there and works with a lot of different uh, many many might be familiar with Ashley from her the boundary series that's on the the mothers who know podcast channel. She's a clinician at life changing services and specifically a therapist for the worth group and the marriage repair workshop and she is also a therapist and part of the team for choose recovery services. You can learn more about Ashley and her services at healing with Ashley and with no E in the Ashley, A-S-H-L-Y, healingwithashley.com, as well as the Bystander Basics, Basics class that she teaches, which is a class for individuals whose loved ones are experiencing betrayal trauma. So you can follow her on Instagram at Ashley, noeashley.levitt. You can find her on YouTube at Chatting with Ashley. And then also you can follow Drops of Joy on Spotify. And it just has little snippets or drops of joy from the classes that she teaches. And so this is Ashley's family. Ashley said, when I heard the word family in the request for a family picture, these are the individuals who immediately came to mind. Her mom, her dad, an educator and a service man. My only sibling, she has a brother that's 15 years younger. And her and is currently on a mission, and then two daughters that are 11 and 4, and then her daughter's aunt, and who is the director of an adult special needs facility. And Ashley said, my family and I love to celebrate. You can tell by this picture. We love to laugh, play games, find the absurd in the mundane, and just be silly. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Even when we're navigating heartbreaking and serious situations, laughter is truly the best medicine. Ashley just says, these people have shaped my life. They've influenced who I am and who I strive to be. They are examples of faith in hardship and kindness without judgment. She said, a normal picture wouldn't do justice to the happiness that they bring into my life. So a silly picture was the only option. Love that, Ashley. Thanks so much for for being here. And Karen, did you have anything before we
0: start right in with Ashley? Oh, I just, yeah, BJ, I think everybody's saying, you need to say more, Karen, because everybody has heard, especially those who work closely with me, how much I love and appreciate Ashley. But yeah, I will just get emotional if I talk too much about it. So I'll wait for later when I'm not so emotional. So thanks, BJ. So Ashley, you're on. Yeah. Can you unmute? Yep, I'm up. Okay. All right. Well, now that we've
2: (laughs) heard too much about me, I feel like like I've been the center of the discussion for enough time. It's time to move on. Okay. They told me to tell more about me, so my first slide is about me, and I just feel so uncomfortable about it, but here we go. (laughs) We'll look at it anyway. All right just some few things about me. My favorite colors are blue, green, and purple. Lots of people think I'm weird for having more than one favorite color, but colors are wonderful. And I think it's weird to only like one. Favorite is a tier, not a title. So I like to have lots of colors. In college, my roommates and I would dress up as superheroes to deliver cookies. We'd leave the cookies on the porch and then play heroic music as loud as we could and then leave, then pose on the sidewalk all heroically while we waited for people to answer their door we thought we were fun. So there's a little picture of that. And my bucket is filled when I'm spontaneous. So I like to just randomly do things like deliver cookies. However, routines will quickly drag me down. I've discovered that if I'm doing the same thing regularly at the same time each day, it actually leads me to a bit of a depression. I have a hard time with it. So apparently lots of people like routine. I'm told that routines are helpful and they should be implemented. And I've got two daughters who really need routine. But That's not my experience. For me, it's not helpful. And then another slide. Let's learn some more about me. I, one time had a doctor tell me, I guess I just need to remember that you're my patient, that if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. That just seems to be almost the theme of my life. I had college roommates who tell me the same thing. Oh, if things can go wrong, they do for Ashley. My first child, I labeled labored with her for 60 hours. And then we finally decided to have a C-section and I almost died on the operating table. So the surgery to remove my baby during the C-section, it usually takes about 30 or 40 minutes, but it was completed in under three so that they could get her out and start taking care of me. For my second child, I labored for two weeks. The C-section was planned and the doctor kept saying, mom and baby are healthy and happy, but I don't think happy is the appropriate term for it. So they didn't ever want to take her with the C-section and I wasn't Progressing anymore, so I just had contractions every five to seven minutes for two weeks until she was finally born. And the work itself was beautiful and drama-free. But three months after having my second, is when I became a single mom. I my emotions are really on the surface today, so if I share them with you, please allow them. I was evicted and homeless due to somebody else's choices for the second time in my life, and ended up. With me and my two little kids living in my parents' basement, which is just such a tender tender mercy because we had only recently moved to the same town that they lived in. And so that provided a nice landing space for me. Which brings me just now to our topic, Waiting on the Lord, the sacred space of limbo and sorrow. And I have so many emotions about this. I teach all the time. That's what I do. Prior to becoming a counselor, I was a teacher. I've taught Relief Society lessons for 10 years. I've moved to about seven different wards in that time, and I'm always called as a Relief Society teacher, which is great. I love teaching and I love any opportunity I have to get it. I have a pretty normal way of planning lessons and what I'm going to do and sharing. And so when I was asked to come do this podcast series, not podcast, this webinar series, I jumped at the opportunity. I thought it sounded fantastic and I really wanted to be a part of it. And they asked for what my topic would be, and this title, The Sacred Space of Limbo and Sorrow, immediately came to my mind. Just, I didn't think about it. I didn't have to contemplate which thing I wanted to do. That was the title. That was the topic. It came. It was very clear. It was very obvious. However, that was the only thing that came easily. This has been such a fascinating experience because the title just came out. I didn't have to think about it or yearn or search or find the, just the right words to convey the message. It just came to my mind. That was it. That was title, Waiting on the Lord, the Sacred Space of Limbo and Sorrow. But when it came time to actually prepare, the title is all that I was given. (laughs) There is no more given. In fact, I'm going to just start reading something that I typed up yesterday because as the spirit and I were, were wrestling with what I was supposed to do, the answer became, I need you to type this out. So I typed it. I'm just going to read it. It's different than anything, any kind of preparation I've ever done before. So here we go. When it came time to prepare for today, it turned out that the title was all I was given. Right now, as I'm typing this, it's 1251 a.m. I'll be presenting in eight hours. Why is this making me sad? Not sad. Emotional of some sort. I'm sitting on the floor, still pleading with the Lord to guide me in my message. I've been contemplating this topic for months. I've been gathering and planning for quite a while, but as I sat down to prep at my computer this evening, here I am, waiting. (laughs) I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that when my topic is waiting on the Lord, I'm still just waiting. Waiting to figure out what it is I'm gonna say. For the last 10 years, I've been serving as a Relief Society teacher. During that time, I grew to love the women that I served. Every single month, time after time. Oh, this is why I'm emotional, okay. I would have personal experience with lessons that I was meant to teach. Hard were the months where I needed to teach on patience or forgiveness. Those, those ones were the hardest to experience because I would end up having personal experiences with the need for that. At one point, I asked my Heavenly Father why my months would follow the theme of my lesson. And the very clear answer that I received almost immediately was because of his love for his daughters and early society. They deserved to have someone who had learned by experiences. The principles that they would be presenting as truths. For me to be part of the teaching process, he wanted to make sure I actually understood personally. So the same must be true for everyone listening today. God knows you. He loves you. He is aware of you, and he recognizes that the limbo you feel when you are experiencing it is hard, and he mourns with you. So, let's just talk about what I've prepared today. I sat down ready to prepare slides. Over the last two or three years, I've adopted slides as my way to teach. Prior to that, I was doing other things, but now I do slides. They're easy to organize. They're easy to rearrange when they're planning. It's easy to skim when I'm trying to teach them. So I opened up my slides like I always do, and I began to prepare, but nothing came. So I switched to gathering information. Maybe I didn't have enough content swimming around in my brain for it to come out yet. I searched the gospel library for waiting on the Lord. I searched it for limbo and sorrow and a number of other words. I had <laughs> 30-something tabs open so that I could just learn and gather all of this information. I scoured and copied and pasted everything that I thought was applicable, but nothing for this lesson just came. I took a break to answer some emails. I'm aware of how prayer works. I'm aware of how revelation works. I know how that faith without works is dead and that the Lord loves effort. So I began typing my about me pages. A quick introduction of who I am with a carefully crafted transition into the topic. I got four slides. Four, I changed locations. Maybe I wasn't focusing well because I was outside and the mosquitoes were coming. So I went inside and I had more prayer and I called my mom. She and I have been bouncing lesson ideas off of each other for as long as I can remember. We talk about how to plan them and what our objectives are. And talking it out always helps. And it did for two more slides. I got two more slides and then the super came. I didn't understand. I was doing exactly what God was asking me to do. I was doing everything to do my part and to carry my load why wasn't the spirit coming to help me with this lesson? Every time I got stuck writing the next sentence, I would return to my objective that I had very clearly written out with my mom. I could read them, find a bit of clarity, and then I would write maybe a sentence or two before it was gone again. So I took a bathroom break. And during that time, here come all of these thoughts about being less than and incapable and incompetent. And maybe I'm not really the one who's supposed to be presenting a message today because it's not coming. Thankfully, I was able to recognize that, boy, does Satan like to get in there and give us some distortions. And he really likes to use a whole bunch of truths. The truth was I couldn't plan a lesson, so the truth is maybe I shouldn't be. He likes to use truths and distort them. I told him, get out of here, Satan. Get the ends. I'm working here. I can recognize these lies, so here I go back to work this time in a more comfortable position on the couch, praying again for guidance, feeling like I'd done everything so far that it was fine, but there was nothing to help me move forward. And I started to get frustrated. What was I doing wrong? How was I supposed to change? Was there a reason that the spirit had withdrawn its guidance? Right about then, my four-year-old woke up in the middle of the night and nothing helps her concentration like a screaming child. She insisted on sleeping on the couch next to me but can't actually sleep while I'm working on the computer. So I anticipate tomorrow morning will be rough. And it was. (laughs) She has a special bedtime song. I played it four times before my computer, which was fully charged when I started planning, notified me it was about to die and I needed to go plug it back in. So I sat on the floor next to the plug, plugging my computer in. And as I got more and more tired, the thought came to me, maybe I'm not supposed to do slides. Maybe I'm just supposed to write it. And maybe I'm supposed to write about how frustrating it is to not have answers, not have insight, not have revelation when you need it the most, and how in the middle of that frustration it can make everything else harder, from focusing on just this one thing to keeping your cool as a parent. Waiting. Waiting on the Lord. It is not a walk in the park, and I don't want to pretend that it is. It's not waiting like Waiting for the timer to alert you that some yummy garlic bread is about to be done baking and you're going to eat something delicious? No, no, no. This kind of waiting is draining and overwhelming and confusing and exhausting. It makes zero sense, but it's somehow also the answer to all the questions. What are your plans? Oh, waiting on the Lord. Will your son serve a mission? We're waiting on the Lord. How's your daughter's mental health? Waiting on the Lord. Do you have a job? Is your husband going to church? Have all of those pieces that you're worrying about falling into place yet? The answer over and over and over is to wait on the Lord. But what does that actually mean? There are a number of conference talks that will accurately tell you that waiting on the Lord is saying, Thy will, O Lord, be done. And I believe this is true. But I think if we jump straight to that part, then we miss this important piece. This other part, this part that's less manicured and more messy. For that part i want to look at dnc 122. so in dnc 122 we read joseph smith is in liberty jail he's been going through a whole bunch of hard things and his wife who's not in liberty jail but is instead with the saints writes to him and says hey it's really hard out here what should we be doing Please find a revelation. Please let us know. Give us some instruction. And so he prays, and there's this really beautiful answer, and then there's this piece. Here we go. It starts with, if thou art called to pass through tribulation. And then the Lord gives him a billion examples of tribulation. (laughs) If thou art in perils among false brethren, if thou art in perils among robbers, if thou art in perils by land or by sea, if thou art accused with all manner of false accusations, if thy enemies fall upon me if they tear thee from the security of thy father and mother, and if, skipping to, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness and all the elements combine, to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall beep open the mouth wide after thee. I want to just pause there for a second. To those words, let me put them on the screen. I'll just read them again. If the... <laughs> If thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness, and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, this is the space that I want to talk about, where you're just desperately trying to find the right answer. You're just actively seeking and actively searching for light, but the heavens have gathered blackness. So you take a step into the dark, only to find that all the elements are hedging up the way. So you look into every corner, watching for that door to open or that light to shine, and instead, what opens up to you is the very jaws of hell, adding urgency to an already stressful situation. This space. We don't talk about it very much, but it's just so real. Maybe you're in the middle of this space right now. Maybe you haven't experienced it recently and so it's not as urgent for you. Maybe you have a friend or loved one who's trying to navigate that space and you're not sure what to do. This space is real and it exists. And the good news about this space is that you're not crazy. It does exist. This is a thing that happens. Also, you're not alone. We all have to walk through this space at some point in our life. And You aren't experiencing this space as a consequence of something you're doing wrong. As we talk about this today, I want to acknowledge and honor that this is a hard subject. We're touching on things that are very real and tender. So watch for the spirit. The spirit will be comforting, lifting, teaching, edifying, showing you areas that you could improve in ways that you feel empowered. But also keep that careful eye for the adversary. (laughs) Remember, he wants you to be miserable like unto himself. He wants to discourage you, leave you feeling worthless. Suggests that the me, you, maybe you should leave this meeting because you're uncomfortable or embarrassed or ashamed or unworthy or your experience doesn't quite fit. He's going to show you areas of yourself with no hope for improvement and leave you discouraged. But he is the father of lies, so get him out and bring the spirit to teach truths, which are that we all experience these things. One truth that the spirit might teach you is that you're not alone in experiencing this kind of space. You're not alone. All of us here today have experienced it or will experience it, but also we can see very clearly in the scriptures examples of this space over and over and over again. Here's just the list that I could come up with off the top of my head. Israelites wandered around for 40 years. (laughs) Elijah was literally told by an angel that this path was too hard for him to carry, so have a cake and go to sleep. (laughs) Job was the guy that limbo and sorrowing are compared to. Oh, don't worry, thou art not yet as Job. <laughs> that's how rough he had his. Lehi was demanded to leave his home and send his children away. He loses the confidence of his wife and he hands his baton to the son. And we don't talk about that, but that had to be hard to switch from being prophet to being the man that's following. Abenadi dies without even knowing that Alma was listening. Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail, we've already talked about, by his wife, Emma. Loses her children, multiple over and over, and then her husband. Eve is the first person asked to sacrifice and face possible consequences of being alone. My favorite story about it is Mary, so I want to talk about her for just a second. She has just watched a good friend, her savior and 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 I don't know what that second word is going to be, so we'll just end with savior. Her savior die, and she shows up. At the appropriate time to take care of him because she's very devoted and wants to and she arrives expecting to see something very hard but that she's gonna take care of him anyway and when she arrives the tomb is empty and she's confused and she asks where is he where have what has thou done where has thou taken him and she starts searching for her and can't find him anywhere and she falls to the ground and just sobs there's this space where she can't find him and he's not there but she's doing everything she can to find him and then after that moment is when the savior comes to her and he says touch me not for i have not yet ascended to my father now think about that he hasn't even finished his dying process he has not ascended to the father so why in the world wasn't he still just in the tomb why wasn't he just sitting there waiting for her why didn't he meet her on the road or show up at her home and say surprise here i am why didn't he do these things i was studying this story when i was in my own really hard space and trying to figure out what to do and the answers to those questions of why wouldn't he just let her know that he was alive before she had to experience this Grieving and loss and sorrow and limbo of even knowing where her Savior was had to be important because I trust the Savior and I trust that He is someone who suffers us and He understands our sadness and He understands our pain. And so, if there wasn't an important reason for that, He would have done so. There had to be something important that's happening in that moment. We see it again with Mary and Martha and Lazarus we see Lazarus is about to die and Mary and Martha write to Christ and they compel him to come. And he says, okay, I'm coming, but first I'm going to tarry. And he tarries just long enough for Lazarus to die and for Mary and Martha to be grieving and mourning. And they see the same thing. Where are you? Where were you? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And when we look at that story with the realization that he didn't come on purpose. Why? Why would this person who knows the pain, who stands right there and grieves with Mary and Martha, he weeps over Lazarus's death, despite the fact that he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Grieving and sorrow and this confusion of even wondering, is the Lord there? Is the Savior there? Where is he? Has to be so important. We see Mary and Martha, where were you? We see Mary at the tomb, where are you? We see Joseph Smith, oh God, where art thou? And where is the pavilion which covereth thy hiding space? And we see the Savior himself, oh God, where art thou? This has to be sacred. It just has to be. For a long time, that's the only answer I had was, was I just believe it has to be. Because from what I know of my Savior, if it didn't, if it wasn't important, he wouldn't have done it. And also, to see someone that you love mourning is not easy. It's not simple. That's not something we desire to do. So for the Savior to purposely allow these people that he loved to mourn and grieve and weep and wonder where and feel that pain and confusion and limbo, that had to have been hard for him. So there has to be a purpose for this. And then this past conference, we had a talk by Sister Amy Wright that gave me a little piece of why this might be important. She talks about Acts chapter three. And she says, we learn about a man who was born lame and whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called bountiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So we've got this man, can't walk. He never has, he was born that way. People will take him and set him on the steps of the temple so that he can beg for help. And then those people will take him back. So every day he's carried to the temple. She continues, the lame beggar was over 40 years old and had spent his entire life in a seemingly never-ending state of wanting and waiting, for he was dependent on the generosity of others. One day he saw Peter and John go into the temple and he asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have I give thee, in the name of Jesus Christ Nathers, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle and bones received strength, and leaping he stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. So sister writes, comments. Oftentimes we find ourselves like the lame beggar at the gate of the temple, patiently or sometimes impatiently, <laughs> waiting upon the Lord, waiting to be healed physically or emotionally. Waiting for answers that penetrate penetrate the deepest parts of our hearts. Waiting upon the Lord can be a sacred place of polishing and refining, where we come to know the Savior in a deeply personal way. Waiting upon the Lord may also be a place where we find ourselves asking, Oh God, where are Thou?" Oh, the second half of that quote comes into this story after a story. So Sister Wright tells us that this waiting on the Lord is a sacred place of polishing and refining where we really get to know our Savior in a deeply personal way. So of course, the Savior of mankind, knowing that this is how we come to know him in a personal way, is not going to stop his friends and these important people in his life from experiencing that. But as I read that quote, it reminded me of an experience I had. About a year ago, I was in California. My mom and I took this fun little vacation, and we stumbled across this glass building place, glass blowing place. I suppose it didn't build, but we watched these two artists work with hot glass for hours and it was incredible. And it really hit me emotionally. So I'm going to tell this little story about how glass work is created. And as I do watch for the spirit to tell you your own personal metaphor of how this applies in your life. I'll come in with my own metaphor because we don't have a ton of discussion time. So I'll tell you what I took away from it but that's not gonna be nearly as helpful as what the spirit takes you on so that you can take something away from it. Okay, so we have this woman. The team that we were watching was this husband-wife team who started this company. And the first step of creating this beautiful glass vase that they were gonna make, this gorgeous, delicate, intricate vase, was to just get a giant glob of flaming glass. <laughs> it's just molten glass. She gets it out of this huge vat that you can feel the heat when she opens it and then if she decides she wants some color in it she comes over here and she sticks it in one of these sections of just broken chips of colorful glass so she's in here getting grabbing some color as she continues to work with it she uses these really harsh metal tools that have they're all just black and they're all iron or steel or something but the Idea that they were going to create something so delicate and beautiful with these really harsh tools kind of stood out to me. So she starts kind of rolling it around on this little work desk, and she uses a little shaper to start getting a little bubble at the end. And then, probably every three seconds, or well, 30 seconds, we'll say she would pop up and come stick the thing that she was creating into a different vat of heat, because as the glass would cool, it wasn't moldable anymore, and she couldn't shape it anymore. So she would come. Stick in the heat, go work for 30 seconds to a minute, go back, stick in the heat, go work. And then her husband here, he just stood and watched in the background. He was just in the back observing until suddenly he wasn't. No words passed between them, these two artists, when all of a sudden he comes over and just starts helping her. And he would help. She would roll this this rod back and forth and shaping the end. And he would move his head along with the rod and blow into the end of it. And it starts to form a bubble on the end. And she would use some big tools to shape it. And he would just, as she would roll, he was right there in sync with her, blowing into this tube. Even though no words were even passing between them. They were just working. As she started to get to the shape she was wanting, she needed to do a couple different activities. Some shape building activities. So sometimes she would twirl the pole around. And really let gravity start to pull it down so it was a nice long base. Sometimes she would shove it. You can't quite see it, but in here is a mold. She would shove it into this mold and then he would come blow on it so that it would fill the mold. That's when they would create square ones. Sometimes right in her seat as as she's rolling it, she would take a torch just right to the surface of it. And really heat up one specific section so that she could mold that piece where she needed it. And then, again, without saying anything, all of a sudden her... Partner comes over and he gets his own little piece of flaming glass from the vat of of molten glass and comes and attaches it to the bottom. So you can kind of see this little glass vase here. It's a square, beautiful thing. He attaches his molten glass to the bottom. They really make sure it's solid and solidified. And then they break off the one that she's been working with so carefully with the pole that she's been using. They'll cool it down suddenly with an air compressor, make it really cold, and then break the glass right there. And then now suddenly this thing that we thought was the bottom ends up attached to a different pole and turned upside down. And that's the top. And now they're making a base in this whole new way. He would come in and just, oh, this picture is of after the, they get it off of the poles in the right direction. Then they would put it in these giant refrigerators and they would close the door and lock it and date it because they couldn't open that one until Three days had passed. An important part of the setting of this really beautiful glass delicate thing was staying in the fridge for a couple of days. They had to keep it in there. So as we watch this, I am watching this happen. Oh, and literally um, having tears come to my eyes as I just see this beautiful thing. And I realized the reason I was having tears come to my eyes is because it was impacting me with a metaphor. So I'm going to share my metaphor, but if the spirit has brought a metaphor to you while I was talking, write it down. So you have your own. I have two. Sometimes life feels like it's a flaming ball of glass. (laughs) Sometimes it's just chaos and we're on fire and the very jaws of hell are just heating it up and it's not the best. Sometimes we feel like we've been shoved into spaces we didn't expect or want to be. Sometimes it feels like we're on a roller coaster or just being swung around in a circle just to giving us shape sometimes it feels like we've barely even had time to breathe barely had time to cool before the next thing hits and we're back in the fire and we just wonder why why are things happening this way i am a good disciple i strive to do what i'm asked why are such hard tools and such hard experiences being given to me just as we think we've made it we're flipped upside down and shut into darkness for days on end, wondering where our Creator went. Other times, I see myself in partnership. This is the other metaphor that hits me. I see myself in partnership with the Creator. The life is the flaming ball of glass, but I have the chance to douse it with color of things that I love and enjoy. He leaves to me and watches from not too far while I begin to shape and mold. He's there as I try to use these harsh tools and harsh experiences that I've had to give any kind of shape to my life, to create something beautiful. And then he arrives just as I'm needing him. And without even needing too much of an interaction between the two of us, because he knows me so well and knows what I'm striving to create, he's right there to help make sure that the process is going to work, to give me that air when I'm needing air, to give me that other piece to attach when I'm needing that. Together, my life goes back into the fire, back into the flames to make it pliable again. It wasn't complete when it was just a ball. It's meant to be something beautiful. The final step that I'm unable to do on my own, so he steps in. But I'm left feeling unfinished as all of these pieces that I've been working on get taken off and placed in the freezer, and suddenly I'm just not sure. I'm in that limbo for a moment. These were the two things that stood out to me as I watched. This process happen, and it reminds me of the rest of Sister Wright's quote. A place of waiting is a place where spiritual perseverance requires us to exercise faith in Christ by intentionally choosing him again and again and again. Sister Wright says, I know this place and I understand this type of waiting. I spent countless hours at a cancer treatment facility, united in my suffering with many who were yearning to be healed. Some lived, but others did not. I learned in a profound way that deliverance from our trials is different for each of us, and therefore— Our focus should be less about the way in which we are delivered and more about the deliverer himself. Our emphasis should always be Jesus Christ. This line intentionally choosing him again and again and again. I've come to decide that this is why we have this sacred space of limbo and sorrow where we're just waiting to see if the Lord's going to show up because it allows us the opportunity to choose him again, even when he's not readily available. And he is, we know he's just off watching. We know that he's going to come talk to Mary as soon as she has that moment. We know that he raises Lazarus from the dead, but choosing him, even when I'm not sure he's there, is where we gain such power, where we really solidify with our spirit, how we're going to behave and who we are. And we gain this new power into our life. Garrett Gong of the Form of the Twelves taught, during this life we sometimes wait upon the Lord. We may not yet be where we hope and wish to be in the future. A devout sister says waiting faithfully upon the Lord for his blessings is a holy position. It must not be met with pity, patronizing, or judgment, but instead with sacred honor. In the meantime, we live now, not waiting for life to begin. This line, it must be met, it must not be met with pity, patronizing, or judgment. I think we accidentally do that for ourselves sometimes. When we are in this limbo, when we are waiting and wondering and searching and hoping, we end up saying things. I often hear things like, Oh, I'm just being silly. I know it's ridiculous, but I feel this way. I, it doesn't, I don't even know. I, I, of course it's going to happen this way, but I'm so tired, whatever. We just end up giving ourselves this pity and this patronizing. When what we could be doing is allowing it to be this sacred experience, this important thing in our lives. I love that Elder Gong says it should be honored when we aren't sure which way is up, when we're waiting for an answer from the Lord, when we know that we've been doing everything that we can and we're just wondering, oh God, where art thou? That is so sacred. We can honor it and we can hope for what's coming next. But we can also just allow ourselves to be sad in that moment. It's okay. It's hard. We can honor those emotions by allowing ourselves to feel them. So what are some other things that we can do to ensure that we are meeting this space of ours with honor? Don't belittle it. You are not stupid. What you're experiencing isn't stupid. Your fears and your concerns and all of these things going on are not stupid. Don't judge it you are not bad. This is not bad. You're not expected to go through life without experiencing sorrow, limbo, and waiting. This is an important piece of it. And if it wasn't, taking that truth that during this time we really get to know the Savior on a personal level, if this limbo, sorrow, and waiting wasn't part of life, we would be missing out on getting to know our Savior on a personal level. And there's no way that our Savior and Father in Heaven would do that. Our heavenly parents and our brother cared too much about us to not allow us the opportunity to develop a sacred personal relationship with him. Keep the spirit. Just keep it. Use those boundaries. Use your values. Use those things to keep the spirit with you. It will always keep you on a safe side, even when things are scary, even when the jaws of hell are right there and you just don't know which way to go because all the elements are heading up the way and there doesn't seem to be a path right now hold to the spirit. Talk to yourself with kindness. I was listening to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast yesterday, and I wish I could remember the reference of the episode, but the person on there talked about how the words we tell ourselves and the thoughts we tell ourselves are what our brain is able to pull from in order to give us words and thoughts. And so it's so vital to make sure that we are giving our brain kind words and kind thoughts about ourselves so that in the hard moments, our brain has kind words and kind thoughts to give back to us. So talk to yourself with kindness. This is really hard. You're doing a great job and I'm proud of you. Don't believe those messages in your head that you wouldn't say to your best friend. If you have a thought come into your mind, you're so dumb. I can't believe you would do this. You're such a burden, why do you even try? You wouldn't say those to your best friend. So don't say them to yourself. Talk to yourself with kindness, even in the limbo. And lastly, don't fall for the lie that sorrow and joy can't coexist. Joy is an emotion of the spirit. It comes through righteous living. It is not casual or a shallow feeling ever. This is cut from Elder Gong. If we equate fun and pleasure with happiness, we may think pain must always be equated with unhappiness but that is not true. Joy is not a stranger to pain. We may not feel deeply enough to know joy unless our hearts have been hollowed out by sorrow. A heart may not be big enough to know real joy until it has been stretched and pulled by the trials and hard things. In 2 Nephi 2.23, we find this phrase having no joy for they knew no misery. Our capacity to feel joy actually increases as we righteously endure our pain. Things become sacred when they are gifts to us. Oh, this is a thought for me. Things become sacred when they are gifts to us from God, like temples, bodies, covenants, sacrament, and atonement. And they become sacred when we give them to God, like covenants and prayers and things. And those emotions that are helping us through these really dark, hard, confusing times are sacred gifts from God. He gives us our emotions. We see in Genesis where he gives us enmity. We see in Genesis where he gives us sorrow. These things are important for us and we can honor them by allowing them to be a sacred space that's bringing us closer and closer to our savior. The space of things not working out is not for naught. You're not alone in experiencing it. There is reason, planning, and purpose behind it, and it is a sacred gift to you.
0: Wow. That's Thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, ladies, if you're feeling like I'm feeling, you're thinking, I am so glad I came this morning. I feel so grateful to be here. Then, yeah, we're on the same wavelength. So thank you so much, Ashley. We are going to transition into the space of our Q&A with Ashley. But before we do, I'm just going to ask BJ if she'll just share some of our resources and things for you again with some slides and just talk about them for a minute because some of you maybe missed our awesome message. It's our other message of hope. One of the things I realized that moms are the, oh, what would you say? I think, I can only think of the Elvis Presley song when I think of this, but I think, you know, a hound dog, you know, you ain't nothing but a hound dog, that comes to my mind. But I'm just thinking, there's this, Gift that women have. And I think it's one of our sacred spaces. And we are diligent in this sacred space. And it is the space of searching and yearning and trying to find the things that the people that we love need in their life or the resource that might assist us in the things we can't quite figure out yet. And so, our other message of hope in this webinar series is to share with you life-changing services and to share with you our Mothers Who Know resources so that you know that there's a place for you to come and to find healing and for your family to come to. So yeah, sons, daughters, wives, mothers, husbands, and a whole family. We have training and healing for the whole family here. So yeah, AJ, thank you.
1: Yes, thank you so very much, Ashley. I just, when you started and we realized it was really a challenge to have those thoughts and ideas come together and how that played so much into just the topic and seeing the topic even at a even in a better way. And anyway, I just so appreciate you just trying to stick so close with the spirit because it does, it changes the direction we go and it ends up being so helpful and healing. And so anyway, thank you so much. We just love your heart. So like Karen mentioned, we have a lot of people that have jumped on since we started. We just wanted to make sure that you're aware of the resources that are available for you and our Parent company that's over lots of these different programs that we've mentioned is Life Changing Services, and and these are the programs that they offer. You can go to lifechangingservices.org to to find out just a little bit more about each of those and and get a lot more details. But just a, an incredible group of uh, Latter Day Saint therapists and other professionals that are really interested in in finding joy and peace and healing through their training and recovery programs. And then we really like to highlight this this mom power training course, this free eight-part training that is offered through Mothers Who Know. Mothers Who Know is the sponsor of this webinar series. And, and it has been so helpful to so many women just to, across the country. And it's so beautiful that we can gather in, this type of a forum, but it's a recorded training that you can just listen to when it's convenient for you. And then we also have some uh, live discussions that happen that complement that training. And the next one will start on September 13th. And you're just welcome to share that with friends or family. You'll find that we love to describe it with, you know, what is this about? What is this training? It's just a sweet opportunity to link arms with other like-minded women. As we are meeting, we all are meeting challenges. And if we don't feel in the heavy thick of it right now, probably next week we might, or or we can relate to that. We're just as we're spousing or neighboring or mothering. And so it helps you to provide, just set powerful habits in motion and refine your circumstances and just elevates the way that we think and feel and act. We love that. So I want to make sure we have time to just get on with Ashley and questions you might have and thoughts she might have there, but I would just like to invite you to go to mothers who and you'll find just tons of, of other resources there, <laughs> including the podcast that's been mentioned several times here, the mothers who know podcast channel, where the boundary series that's been referred to several times, you'll just, you'll find that so helpful that, that Ashley's been helping with. So, so just go to MothersWhoKnow.org. You can find lots of things there. If you have additional questions, you can go to MothersWhoKnow at LifeChangingServices.org. You can email us there, and we'll put that in the chat as well. But we would love any questions or any way that we can we can help. we love working with you and being with you. And thanks again, Ashley. The time is yours. Ashley, I'm going to let you
2: facilitate all of it. All right. I don't know if there are any in the chat before,
1: but do not have any questions or thoughts? I do have a couple of questions. Here's the first question: Do you find yourself, Ashley, with moments of feeling sorrow and grief? You know, and you—I think you kind of alluded to this—they are. Do I? Yeah. But even like you have all this knowledge, you have all this tools. Do you just okay? I've got it down now. I don't feel that anymore. Absolutely not.
2: I—I I mean, I—the thought that came to my mind was. Our Savior had so much more knowledge and infinite more tools, and he is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I don't think knowledge and understanding remove us from the opportunity to experience it because it's so vital to feel sorrowful, because it's so important to have those moments as hard as they are, as much as we would like them to go away. But even the most perfect among us is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. They are not bad to have. So, yes, I experienced
1: them as well. And thank you for bringing up those points. We, we know about those, but we haven't connected those dots a lot of times, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Here's another question. I feel like my grief and sadness is, is partly connected with my lack of faith. Maybe if I was more faithful, I wouldn't be having this these issues.
2: I think we'd culturally end up with that. Message sometimes because we talk about. I'll talk about my experience, like sitting in a relief society, and someone talks about, oh, when you're feeling sad, all you have to do is just go out and serve someone, and you'll feel better now. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of people who serving others will help them feel better. I don't want to say that that's not an accurate principle, but the idea that sadness is something that has to be fixed is a problem because it's not. It's not. <laughs> Sadness is not something to be fixed. Sadness is such an important emotion. We see God says it twice in Genesis that he gives us sorrow. He gave Eve sorrow. He gave Adam sorrow. That Sorrow, sadness, all of the emotions are gifts to us from God. And when we approach it with this idea of, oh, the reason I'm not experiencing joy right now is because I have a lack of faith. We accidentally invalidate the fact that it's okay to not have joy right now, but it's okay. Not okay, like everything's peachy, I'm so happy, but but okay as in it's an important part of our experience on this earth. And so are there ways that we can shift into joy? Absolutely. But are joy and sorrow supposed to be mutually exclusive? No. I think of them as opposites, as two sides of the same coin. That they come together. We often experience joy and sorrow at the same time. We're supposed to have them both. And I loved in in Elder Gong's quote, I think it was, where he talked about the reason they were able to experience joy is because they had experienced sorrow. I think of our emotional capacity on, it's a a math term, but it's called absolute value. I'm going to draw it out because that's what my brain wants me to do right now. So... Absolute value is how far am I away from zero? So here's zero. And if I'm going to move one, I have to move one in both directions. So I have to come one to here and one to here. If I'm going to move two, I have to move two in both directions. So when you move, you move both the ways from zero. Zero being I'm not experiencing any emotion at all. We'll say one direction there, the really hard ones that are difficult to experience, like sorrow. And the other direction are the really enjoyable ones, like joy. When we gain more emotional capacity, it goes both directions. So we gain the ability to experience sorrow deeper than we've ever experienced at the same time that we're gaining the experience, the ability to experience joy higher than we've ever been able to experience. And when we look at God, he weeps, he sorrows, he is very emotional. He cries over things all the time, but he also celebrates and joys and finds happiness in the things that we're doing. He has this huge emotional capacity, but it definitely goes both directions. So when we are experiencing grief and sadness, is that an acknowledgement of a lack of faith or that we were doing something wrong? Absolutely not. If you walk away with nothing else today, know that grief and sadness are godly. And when you are experiencing those godly emotions, it is sacred. It is the opposite of lack of faith. It is this really beautiful, sacred,
1: godlike experience. Thank you, Ashley. All right. Another question. Because of the my experience with betrayal from a spouse, I'm having a hard time learning to trust. Can you help me with some thoughts here? Yeah.
2: I want to just honor whoever put that one in and let you know you're not alone. I work all the time, every day, with women experiencing the same thing. And so that, that betrayal trauma is common. You're not alone in that battle. I also want to honor how hard it is. It's really, really hard. One thing that happens in betrayal trauma, and possibly even the biggest thing that happens in betrayal trauma, is that our brain, which has learned what to expect when I'm trusting someone, suddenly goes, wait, that didn't make sense. And so the framework that it uses to understand what trust means shatters. It just shatters. It goes away because it does not know. What does it look like to trust? It doesn't know that anymore. What does it feel like to trust? How do I know when to trust? Should I be trusting? The whole ability to trust shatters. That's what happens with betrayal trauma. And so it leaves individuals facing it with this confusion I hate the term trust issues (laughs) because it's not trust issues. It's not even knowing what trust is anymore. Your brain doesn't get it. Your brain doesn't know because it doesn't make sense. So what you're experiencing is completely normal. It's also not the end. What happens when something shatters is a really beautiful opportunity to rebuild it. And so as you begin to study what are trustworthy behaviors, what do they look like? As you begin to study yourself and your connection with the spirit, and your power of discernment and start to be able to trust yourself a little bit more, that will add to it. As you start to look at learning who Heavenly Father is, who your Savior is, who your Heavenly Mother is, and what kind of actions they have, and are they trustworthy people, and you begin to rebuild this framework, you will find yourself naturally knowing when to trust. There will be some really hard times where you're just not sure and you kind of battle back and forth, but the more that you learn and rebuild your understanding of trust in a more complete picture that includes betrayal trauma, you'll find yourself trusting more. And you'll find yourself not trusting when you shouldn't. You'll go, oh, that doesn't feel right. Something feels off there. I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to trust that. Instead, I'm going to turn to my savior. I can trust him. I know I can trust him. These other things were feeling shaky. And you'll find that it becomes easier and easier to know how to trust your savior and your heavenly parents and easier and easier to allow yourself to recognize and honor when it's not an appropriate time to trust the people around you.
1: Okay, thank you. And then a follow-up with that question. Do you do counseling with women who have experienced this? Can you just tell us a little bit about?
2: I do. I work with Life Changing Services running the Worth Group. The Worth Group is entirely dedicated to working with betrayal trauma and women who have experienced this kind of betrayal from a spouse. So, I do, I run groups over there with them. I also work with individual clients. And for me, my favorite part of the work is going from this space of, I don't even know what trust means, <laughs> let alone knowing anything else, and watching as a woman begins to redefine and reclaim her power and find out just how incredibly capable and powerful she is. And it, It's a really beautiful process. So whoever's sending these questions, head over to the work group or, you know, jump on websites and find wherever you're at. There's lots of betrayal trauma specialists and there's absolutely help. And I, it's my passion. It's what I
3: love doing.
1: Awesome. You can go, we'll put it in the chat, but you can go to healingwithworth.org. Is that right, Ashley? Okay. Yep. Okay. And then, We've got a few more questions here and we have a few more minutes, so that's great. How do you how do you stay off the roller coaster of ups and downs? Every time I think I'm doing great and have conquered my feelings of betrayal, that roller coaster takes a dive down and I feel like I'm back in the depths of sadness and loss.
2: That roller coaster sounds an awful lot like the grief cycle. And that's part of it. Grieving. Grieving the loss of the future we were expecting, grieving the loss of the spouse we thought we had married, grieving the loss of the marriage that we imagined, grieving the loss of the family we had anticipated, grieving the loss of whatever. Arr, it feels like we grieving a picture. Like, this is what I imagined, and now that's not happening, so I grieve this picture. But actually, we're, we're grieving a puzzle. And that picture is grieved up of all of these little pieces. And so you'll find yourself grieving that piece again. And it's okay. A new piece comes, and it hits hard. And you grieve it, and it's okay. It's okay to grieve. The how do I keep myself off the roller coaster? Has a couple answers. First, boundaries. I make my decisions based on my value system, not based on my emotions. My emotions are there to give me important information, and sometimes that information is this is a new piece of that puzzle that needs to be grieved. So it's time to jump on that grief cycle again. So sometimes I'm stepping on to what might be described as a roller coaster, because grieving is important. Sorrowing is sacred. And having that opportunity to work through that is a vital piece in growing. And so sometimes I'll step into the grief cycle. Sometimes I am shoved into the grief cycle and I don't see it coming. But when I allow that to be just a part of the experience without judgment, I'm not saying, oh, here I am again. Here, I I guess I haven't healed at all. What was I doing? Am I just wasting my time? Nothing will ever be better. This is never going to change. I'll never get off. Those things are little distortions that Satan likes to whisper at us. When in fact the truth is we work in in seasons and patterns. God works in seasons and patterns. And so right now we're experiencing the shift from summer to fall. And a year from now, we'll be experiencing the shift from summer to fall. And if a year from now I go, here again? We're shifting from summer to fall again. Didn't we appropriately experience that last time? (laughs) That's just, that's not going to be helpful, right? It's not going to lead me down the thought process that's going to be the same thing as to us. Here again? I'm so sad. I'm so hurt. I'm so frustrated. I'm so whatever. And I'm here again. I thought this was done. thought this was over. Things go in cycles. And it's a beautiful pattern because each cycle allows us to learn something new and take something new.
1: Thank you, Ashley. Would you mind just sharing just a couple of common distortions that we might feel around grief and sorrow? And, you know, what are some things that we might be hearing in our head?
2: Sure. The one that I hear every day is that I'm a burden. You might be hearing, this will never change. This can never get better. If you're experiencing betrayal trauma, you might be hearing something like, my husband is the worst, or he will never change, or he will never get better. You might be seeing him as the enemy instead of as someone who's battling their own battle next to you. If you're experiencing difficulty parenting, you might be hearing, I'm the worst mom. Why can't I do this any better? You might be hearing that from distortions internally. You might be hearing that from inaccurate people attempting to be helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That I'm not any good at this. Why do they even? Distortion. Satan really likes to use truth to convince us that our distortions are true it's a sneaky tactic he has we can see it exemplified when we look at christ being tempted by satan he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and the temptation that satan uses is look how hungry you are of course the savior was hungry of course he was he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights of course he was hungry so sometimes satan will jump on with something that is actually a piece of truth he is hungry and use it as a distortion to convince us that nothing can be better. Or with the Savior, he was trying to convince him that he didn't need his father. He could handle this on his own. Just, you're hungry. Here, go ahead and make yourself some bread. Right. So sometimes our distortion is this is really, really hard, but I, I don't need to ask for it. I'll be, I'll be okay. I've got this. I am strong. Those are truths. You are strong and you will be okay. But not asking for help is a little distortion. So watching for those. I had a client who was grieving her marriage, they'd been working through lots of. Recovery work. It'd been a few years. They have significant, wonderful boundaries that have brought lots of peace into her life. And she was working on this ability to trust. And every time she attempted to start thinking about trusting her husband, the thought that would come to her mind was, But he cheated on me. So why? So she comes to me and says, Ashley, what do you do when the distortion is a truth? And sometimes it is. Lots of times, Satan likes to use that truth. And then he says, Oh, no, no. I am no devil for there is none and just kind of hides underneath this this coat of what could be a truth. And so watching for those, if the thought you have leads to discouragement or feeling like nothing will ever get better, even if it's with a truth, it's not coming from someone who loves you like your Savior.
1: That's a powerful phrase. We've got two moms with their hands up. We're going to see if we can get to
3: them really quickly. I had the prompting that I should raise my hand and share this. I I wrote it in the chat, some of it, but there's a little bit more I'd like to add. Ashley, I loved your presentation. It was so good. And I really feel like I gained so much from it as as I just, like literally it, it was either last night or the day before I said that I've been sick so my brain's a little cloudy, but I told somebody that it's so difficult waiting in limbo. And and that, you know, and I've I've recognized it before, But like you said about the pity or being frustrated, so much easier to go to that place than to than to feel good. And I've been trying really, really hard to focus on leaning into the Savior. And I've been studying conference talks. And I just thought I'd like to share one little thing. The Lord is like, grab your journal and just share this real quick. It's from Michael T. Ringwood's talk for God so loved us from April 2022. And what I wrote literally just last night in my journal that i gained from this talk and this may not be word for word because i often will write them to fit me but the thoughts are from the talk but i put the miracles i need will fall on the very day necessary for his plan to be fulfilled so trust his plan because heavenly father has a personal plan of happiness for me and for me, that was so profound, just that, and like you said, trust, I've also been through betrayal, trauma, and many, many other struggles. But the, but the point is, is that when all that's happened, and you do feel like you're just falling, and it's like, what do I trust in? How do I trust? I don't know what to do to trust. I thought I was trusting before, and I'm saying I trust. And you just, you know, get so confused to recognize that the miracles Will fall on the very day necessary for his plan to be fulfilled. That the waiting, like you said, like now it's like all these pieces have just come together. It, the waiting of the of the of the trials and the limbo and all those things create that beautiful glass blown vase, like you showed. I mean, it's just that it was so. Like I said, so many pieces are fitting together in my head. Somebody asked a quote. It was from Michael T. Ringwood, April twenty twenty two. For God so loved us. And like I said, this is something that I extrapolated with my brain in what he said. So it may not be this exact quote, but the miracles I need will fall on the very day necessary for his plan to be fulfilled. And that was that I sort of had in quotes. But I remember as I wrote it, I kind of edited it for me. But anyway, thank you so much, Ashley. I really appreciate what you share. That was beautiful.
2: Thank you for sharing that quote. I remember that talk and loving it so much. And you re- You've restated again just then, the miracles that I need will fall on the very days necessary for his plan to be fulfilled. But then that second piece of the quote reminds us that his plan is a plan of happiness. And so even as I'm sorrowing and in limbo and waiting for these things to fall into place, they're falling into place in a way that I can stand assured for my happiness. That that's what he's, that's his goal is to help us fulfill men are that they might have joy, right? So it's coming and it will come with that sorrowing. Thank you.
1: All right, so first I just wanna say thank you so much. My quick question is, are there things that I can do and say to assist those who I love, who are also in the sacred space and they come to me and they're looking for comfort or help?
2: This question is a tricky one. So I'm gonna choose my answers carefully.
1: Things you can
2: do and say to assist, yes. But in the same way that the Savior didn't rob Mary of the experience, it is not our job to stop them from having that experience. And so what I think can be most helpful is just not being uncomfortable with their discomfort. Just sitting with them in it and mourning with them. This is so hard. Of course you're angry. Of course you're sad. This is really hard. And allowing that to just be we live in, in a time, and I think it might be a cultural thing where we just are ready for the happy ending. We're ready to remind everyone that don't worry, it's going to all work out in the end. We're ready to point out all of the silver linings of the situation that they're in, and there will be times and place for all of that, but that will be the job of the spirit. The spirit will make sure that they're getting, you are not the comforter. The spirit's the comforter. So let the, let the comforter do that job. Your job is to just be the tool in God's hand to be right there mourning with those that mourn right and just allowing that space to be sacred will be a comfort to them to know that that it's okay for them to be sad in your presence and you're not going to attempt to cheer them up with some little that you're not going to accidentally invalidate we talked about how we know the the now I can't even remember the quotes. So maybe I'm not supposed to say it. We know that it's going to end up being okay. But when we talk about that, we accidentally invalidate how hard it is now. And so just sit and be and allow that to be the space. Don't be uncomfortable
1: with it. Yeah. Is, is there a way you can like let them know that you're there for them in that space though? Can you like call them? Can you say, hey, can we go for a walk? Or like, is there a way that you can meet them in that space?
2: It's going to be different for everyone. So I would say, check in with the spirit. Spirit, this person that I care about is really hurting. What can I do to be with them in that space? And then ask them, hey, I know you've got to be hurting. I'd like to come be with you in this space. Because you aren't alone and I care about you. And I just want to be there to mourn with you. And then see what the spirit says and see what they see. Because it' will be different for everyone. some people prefer some like quiet some people really need to be asked questions and talking about it and and getting it out and allowing it to be a thing that's real verbally as well as internally, but it's going to be different for everyone. Thank you thanks for the question
0: So good, yeah, you know I just can't help Ashley but think about what a testimony I have of connection when we're going through that sacred space of limbo and sorrow right because it is such a distortion to isolate in that space you know to be all alone there and it limits our perspectives so much and also our ability to to go through it be in it and experience it and so i think you know that's such a message of hope too. This morning I was reading in D C eighty 84 106. It says, and I'm just changing the scripture says man, and I'm changing it all to a female scripture, but it says, And if any woman among you be strong in the spirit, let her take with her she that is weak, that she may be edified in all meekness, that she may become strong also. But I just think that she may be edified in all-meekness. It doesn't mean oh here let us tell you how to fix set. Right? Or oh here let's let's just let's just tell you how I figured it out. Oh yeah, I totally relate. Let me tell you my story. It's not so much that, it's more about this is a sacred place and you're among women who understand that sacred space. And we're going to allow you to to work through it, and we'll be here with you, holding that space or you. I just have Did such it. a testimony of that sacred space, and it's such a hopeful thing. Yeah. I Ashley, love that. Ashley, what would you share for your final message
2: of hope today? My final thought is the rest of the scripture that we didn't read. DNC 122 is my favorite scripture. And... <laughs> Let me get back to the last piece of it. Okay. It paints this really beautiful picture of what it's like to wait on the Lord. And then it says, Know thou, my child, changed, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. The Son of Man hath descended below them all. Art thou greater than he? Therefore hold on thy way, and the priesthood shall remain with thee. For their bounds are set, they cannot pass. Thy days are known and thy years shall not be numbered less. Therefore, fear not what man can do, for God shall be with you forever and ever. When I read this, this is my favorite scripture when I was in high school. And when I read it, what I hear is, I've got you. My plan is a plan of happiness. And these things that you're experiencing are going to help lead to that. Even though it doesn't feel that way right now, even though it's hard right now, trust me as I do this. And then this line, the son of man hath descended below them all reminds me of my savior and that everything that I've experienced, he experienced for me so that he would know how to sucker me. Sucker means to run to, to give aid. So he went through exactly what I need, what I'm going to go through so that he would know how to help me in the same way that when I was preparing something on limbo, I couldn't come up with what I was needing. It's that same kind of love of he has the exact experiences that we've had so that he's able to to give us aid in that moment. And then this last piece, the hold on they way, keep going, keep going, just keep swimming. Here we go. Hold on. There's that song. If you're going through hell, keep on going. <laughs> don't, don't look back. If you're scared, don't show it. You might get out for the devil even knows you're there. Just hold on. Hold on. It's not the end. And then the priesthood shall remain with the President Nelson advises to study on the priesthood a few years ago and the power that we have access to. As I read this, it the recognition of the power I have is not going to leave. Your power will remain with you. It's not going to be stripped of you. You're going to be able to do this. Their bounds are set. They cannot pass. Don't worry. I'm in control. It will be all right. And then fear not. How many times does God tell us to fear not? And I, I don't think it's fear not as in fear is bad. Don't experience fear. I think it's fear not as in, okay, fear showed up to tell you this thing is scary, but we're not going to give it the control. We're going to say, thanks for, for letting me know about these scary things. I'm taking it to the Lord. He's got this. He's got this. The bounds are set. My days are known and my years shall not be lumbered with us. And I can continue. I can hold on my way. It'll be okay. Even when it feels like there's just darkness in the heavens and I can't see. I can hold on my way and it'll be all right.
0: Thank you. Ashley's boundary class starts next week. And that it is was it the sixth? Ashley, it starts on the sixth.
2: Starts in two weeks on the 14th.
0: Oh on the 14th. Okay, it starts on the 14th and yeah you can register for that and we'll put that information in the chat for you. And it will also be coming in your email or if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be faster than both of those things, you can go to the podcasts that she did for a six-part series on boundaries, and it's in the show notes. You can find how to register for her class.
1: Okay, super. That's helpful. And Yeah, we'll get that in the chat, but sometimes people are listening, so that's great to great to know. Okay, and then let's this this like Karen mentioned, you'll be received you're registered, which all of you must be because you're here, you'll receive this the link to this the audio for this and and it'll have a lot of other information there as well, and then it will be posted to the the Mothers Who Know podcast channel by this the end of the week. So we wanted to just wrap up here with any, a little bit of information that might help us kind of put up, put all these things together and be aware of things coming up. The next Day by the Tree series will be in November the 15th, 22nd, and 29th. And like Karen mentioned, we get to have Ashley. We'll give her a chance to take one little breath and then we'll bring her back in about 30 minutes. And she's gonna just going to be answering questions about that special podcast series. It's a different Zoom room than this one. Like Karen mentioned, you can go to motherswhoknow.org and click on the events tab at the top and it'll give you a calendar and you'll just, you'll pop into that calendar and it'll have the link for that class. So we're just grateful to wrap that up. We've got lots of thoughts and it's just been super meaningful. So looking forward to that in just a few minutes with Ashley. and then. Our final "Say by the Tree message of hope in this three-part series is Rosalind Gearston. and she'll be coming next Tuesday, and we'll be here this same, same place, and you'll be receiving a reminder about that. She'll be talking about heartbreak to healing with Heaven's help. And thank goodness for our experiences, because Rosalind's had lots of experience here with heartbreak and just has some special things to share from her experience. And then right in between these, these webinar series, the Stay by the Tree webinar series, we will we'll have the, the the Mom Power training series that we've mentioned a couple of times. And we would just love to have you join us. You can go to mompowertraining.org to join with us for that free training. You can just listen to and then join us for live discussions as well. And also, we love to also share this Mama Trauma book. If you haven't received this book or read this book, I'm able to talk to lots of moms who with, I'm an outreach caller, and this is one book that they're like, oh, this speaks to me. This met me right where I'm at. And it's just a book about finding hope when your child batters pornography or other challenging issues. Karen Broadhead wrote this book and it's just, you will find it meeting you wherever your mother heart is. So we love sharing that you can get the free ebook at lifechangingservices.org, and then also we just like you to know this was put in the chat as well, and you can find this by going to motherswhoknow.org. But Karen would also love to visit you. Karen has been coaching for a long time and has been the parent support specialist for Life Changing Services for over a decade, and she would love to to put her heart and head together with you. She has a complimentary 30 minute visit that she offers. You can just find that at mothers And there's a tab that says work with Karen and you can find that complimentary visit there. So just wanted to thank you all again on more time and just thank Ashley for being here with us and, and just that she had a good wrestle (laughs) again, deciding what was going to be shared. And just thank you for we're landing right there and and we just so appreciated that so thank all of you and we'd love to see you in about 25 minutes in our warrior mothers who know group thanks karen and all the other team that helped put this together
0: yeah so beautifully beautifully done thank you thank you ashley yeah love y'all hope to see you soon thank you for being with us today warrior moms I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, mothersyouknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find the message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers You Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. And the eternal warriors podcast hosted by two ysa young men who share their story teach valuable lessons and interview special guests you can follow us on our social media pages on facebook under mothers know lcs or search for mothers you know and on instagram username at mothers underscore who know last if you would like additional support and training Please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week Mom Power training class for all moms. You can also go to the Mothers Who Know website at motherswhoknow.org or our parent company, Life Changing Services at lifechangingservices.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones. Thank you so much for listening today. Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit please email me at mothersyouknow at Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.